you know, our brain is a filter. And if we're very clear on what we need, our brain helps us filter all of the information around us all the day. And it actually helps us see the stuff that's going to help us get what we want. I know for myself that was a massive milestone to just get over and to also back myself and go, I can do this. And I tell you what, when that day that financial settlement happened, I have never been more determined in my life. So yeah, I ended up that night sort of at the third hospital being told that I broke my neck and drowned and never walk again. You can't get hung up on what you've invested into something to a particular point. You need to think about what you want your life to look like in 12 months, three years, five years time. And is that person or that situation part of it? If they're not, move on. It's momentum is a huge thing because if we actually slow down, it's like laws of inertia. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so hard to get a, you know, a stationary item moving again. So even when something has gone wrong, constantly going, what's one action I can take? Any action. Because it doesn't matter what direction it's going in, it's easier to steer things once they're moving. Welcome to the Sisters That Slay podcast, featuring Mim, Fez and Beef, also known as Miriam, Talitha and Ferial. We are three sisters building our mini sister empire and bringing you on the journey. We're passionate about learning and growing from those that have been there, done that, ticked the box, won the prize and have the scar. Real people, real stories, we uncover their secrets to how they are living their best lives and push through their lows. Dream the impossible and make it your reality. One life, the critics, you've got a sisterhood that want to see you slay. Hello everyone, hello Facebook. We are live this afternoon and I have such a special guest today. Stacey, do you wanna say hello? Hello, great to be here with you and all of Facebook. Woohoo! So Stacey, I've just gotta read out her bio because I'm just blown away by this. Are you ready guys to hear what Stacey has done? Stacey has not left a devastating accident that happened um, and left her as a quadriplegic. I can't even say the word. Quadriplegic. Oh, wow. There you go. And dependent on a wheelchair at 12 years old, slow her down. Instead, she has used her life experience and personal philosophies to become Australia's leading keynote speaker and facilitator on resilience and finding the opportunity and in change and adversity. So she's also written a book which I have here. I love that Stacy used red as well and how to be resilient and it has been endorsed by the one and only Brian Tracy. Wow. With a say yes and figure out how later approach to life, Stacy has achieved some incredible things which we're going to be talking about today. She's also an ambassador and mentor for the Lane Beachley Foundation Aim for the Stars. Welcome. Wow, the pressure's on now, isn't it? <laughs> that is awesome. You are definitely uh, one of those women that I've. How long have we known each other for now? About like five years. Five, is that yeah, right? be five years now. Yeah, so you're just one of those people that I was drawn to. Just your energy and your um, just your philosophy and your positivity. So yeah, it's gla- uh, so good to have you here. Now, what I love to do is a little bit of getting to know you in the beginning, um, just so, you know, we get a bit of an understanding about who you are and that type of thing. So your favourite celebrity childhood crush? 
going back to that, if I was to picture myself back in my bedroom at, you know, probably late primary school, early high school, my posters on my walls were either rock stars. Yes. So my, some of my favourites were uh, Dave Gleason, who actually lives in Adelaide now from the Screaming Jets. There you go. Um, so Dave Gleason, Sebastian Bach from Skid Row, um, Whitfield Crane from Ugly Kid Joe, um, and either cricket or footy players. So awesome. it, it could have very easily been probably a guy's bedroom <laughs> because it was just all like, you know, metal bands, rock stars and athletes. So you're a bit of a tomboy or just were into those things? Very much a tomboy. Awesome. So, yeah, very much so. And your rev up go-to song, but we'd like you to just sing the first five words of it, then I've got to try and guess it. Oh, my God. Um, I didn't even just think of the rev up go-to song. What gets you inspired? Probably uh, about singing it's a problem, so I have to think about which one. So (laughs) I've got actually I've actually got a whole playlist on Spotify called Resilience Rocks. Oh, my God. So there's about 120 songs that I've curated there. And so it is that that's my my playlist. So, again, obviously it's very rocky. There's a couple of songs that I do, like if I really need to get really, really pumped up. Um, Lincoln Park. Yes. Um, you know, in the end. Yeah. You know, in the yeah that that's um that's a big one. Uh, the best thing, Boom Crash Opera. Okay. Is oh. a huge one. Um, and another one to start the day. Um, is um, Michael Bublé feeling good? Awesome. Love them all. I'm definitely going to. It's Resilience Rocks on Spotify. I'm definitely going to hit that one up. Okay. Now. I'm always interested in like just peak performance and productivity. So let's do a day in your life, but also run me through any rituals that you have um, throughout your day. Yeah, rituals are really important. And I found that the the more I have been committed to consistent, consistent practices, simple things done consistently has made a huge difference. So my one thing that is an absolute non-negotiable is journaling. And I do my journaling of an evening. So I've got an electronic journal. I use the platform Penzu, which is P-E-N-Z-U. And it started out just by answering one question because I thought it was when I started actually writing my book, I had this whole mindset from when I was younger that I hated writing. So I needed to reframe my approach to how I felt about writing. So I thought journaling is a good way to do it. So I just started with a commitment to write one sentence every day. And I started with a 90-day process to start with. And it had to be a, a no exceptions process. So it would mean that sometimes I would hop into bed of a night and I would realise I hadn't done it. So I would get back out of bed, which for me is not straightforward. Yeah. So I would get back out of bed and I would actually grab my phone or I would grab whatever you know was nearby that I could pop into that, either send an email or use the app. So I did that. So I've been doing that without a break for about nearly five years now, which is great. Um, I have a process to meditations become more consistent for me as well. Do you have an app or anything like that? I started out using, I've I've tested a few apps, but there's not really been an app that has really, I've really resonated with. So what I've got is I've got um, at the moment, Dr. Joe Dispenza. His stuff is just mind blowing. I went to his workshop in Sydney a couple of weeks ago, which was incredible. So I use his um, morning and evening meditations. Mm -hmm. And I've also just, um, they're about 24 minutes. So they're a bit bit—they're a bit meaty as far as time goes. But they've also got another one um, that he's got is breaking the habit of being yourself. Oh, okay. They're like an hour and 15 minutes. So they're a bit heavy duty. So I found starting with the shorter ones was better. Yep. Um, so that's a really, that's one. Um, doing my planning the night before. 
is a big one. So doing the brain dump and popping stuff into my calendar the night before. Um, so that's separate to the journal. Mm-hmm. That's generally just a handwritten handwritten one. Um, yeah. So I find if I get stuff out of my head, then I don't think about it when I'm trying to go to sleep. And, yeah, that, that, they're probably the, the main ones. Um, and as wherever possible is uh, sunshine. Ah, so yes. I have to get a dose of sunshine. Um, I definitely – I used to say I was a reptile, but now I've figured out that I'm solar-powered. <laughs> so I need to I need the recharge for the sun. And you live in Sydney now, so it's sunny a lot more than Adelaide, or how's the sun going there? The sun's pretty good. Mm. Um, nothing compares to an Adelaide summer, though. Oh, yes. Um, I I must say, because I lived in the, in the Adelaide Hills when I lived down here, and there is no way I could do one more winter yeah. in the Adelaide Hills because yes. you'd go a week without seeing the sun, and yeah. that was just so depressing. So, yeah, just little doses of sunshine and that's a little bit of a meditative practice as well is just sitting outside, feeling you know, sunshine on the eyelids is super powerful. And, yeah, I listen to podcasts, things like that. So it's just constantly learning and growing and just being committed to simple practices on a regular basis. Love it. I'm so excited tonight to go home and journal. It's one thing that I need to sort of get more consistent with. It's been a game changer. Favourite quote? Favourite quote is a Gandhi quote. Yes. And it, it is, strength does not come from physical capability. It comes from an indomitable will. Mm. So that's been my, my my go-to. Awesome. Now tell us, what have you been up to as of late? As of late? Mm. Uh, mostly doing, like, been doing quite a bit of keynote speaking, which is what I do mostly. So I've been doing some really interesting and diverse ones on that. So in the last couple of months... I did a safety talk for Sydney Water at their treatment plant, which was quite interesting. And that was interesting too because it, it spoke about complacency, which is obviously a huge huge risk in, in when you're coming to workplace health and safety. So that was really good because there was a lot of lessons that I was able to sort of pull out um, just from stuff I do. And that's what's interesting when there's a little bit of a change. Um, and that's why adversity is great too because it breaks you out of that complacency. It forces you to look at things differently. I've done that. I've done quite a few corporate ones, some stuff around insurance, and also did a guest lecture at the film and television school. So the first two students are out, you know, riding the highs and the lows of the creative process. So that's been pretty fun. And just I've got a few little projects in the works as well, Um, sort of just sort of tweaking some content and not quite sure what they're going to look like yet, whether they're going to be, you know, mastermind programs, whether they're going to be online programs, or whether they're going to be like live workshops. But it's a few little cool things that I'm having fun with on that front at the moment. Cool. I look forward to seeing you bring those to life. Now, let's talk about your personal and business journey. So do you want to take me back to where it all began for you, the changes that happened? And yeah, just take me through that journey. Yeah. Um, yeah. Personally, uh, as a young person, I had really, really clear visions for what I thought my life was going to look like. And and, you know, in primary school, all I wanted to do was be a vet. So everything I did was focused on that from a schooling perspective. Um, and so towards the end of primary school, I'd actually gotten into a selective agricultural high school in Sydney. Wow. So that was like big tick on that one. Um, I was an athlete as well. So I played softball in summer. Um, after a bit of a battle um, with a friend and I, we ended up being the first two girls to ever play soccer for our school. That oh, was like awesome. 30 years ago. Against the, in a boys' team? In the boys' teams. Go for it. Love so, it. Like, so I'm so excited about where women's sport has come. Yeah. You know, 
three decades. I feel so old now. <laughs> three decades later. <laughs> Let's not say that. Oh, I'm fine. Oh, um, that's yes, good. I'm, I'm, in, I'm celebrating my festival of 40 at the moment. Woo-hoo. I've still got five months left before the 41 ticks around. Um, so I'm quite happy with that. Love um, it. So, yeah, so I was an athlete. I was a runner, represented every distance, 100 metres across country. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, so then that was really cool. And then all of that got completely thrown out the window um, at the end of at the end of 1990, yeah, I was calling off in a relative's backyard swimming pool with my younger brother. He was 10, a couple of other younger boys. And I was just, as I did every time I visited there, I just kept climbing up on the edge and diving in and was getting yelled at to stop. But, you know, being invincible and bulletproof as we are at that age, I'm like, meh, got this. Mm. And then just one time I was being a really a real perfectionist and I'm like, no, I'm splashing too much as I dive in. So... I stood on the edge and I thought if I held my feet together and kept my legs straight, then I could make an awesome dive. And so I did that and I dived in and it felt like any other dive didn't feel like anything had gone wrong until I went to try and swim up to the surface and I realised I couldn't move. Wow. So I was stuck at the bottom of the pool, completely conscious, having no idea what had gone wrong, holding my breath, panicking like anything, um, trying to get the attention of my brother to help me, which didn't happen. And eventually I just had to breathe in and, you know, as my lungs filled with water and blacked out. And eventually then my brother realised that I wasn't mucking around and he pulled me out. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I ended up that night sort of at the third hospital being told that I broke my neck and drowned and I never walk again. Yeah. So, you know, it literally felt like my life was over. So that dream of becoming a vet was gone. Um, Being an athlete was no longer, you know, an option. So I was really lost for, you know, most of my teenage years. I didn't really know what to do with my life and, you know, Went down some pretty, you know, deep and dark pits there. Um, and then just into my 20s, I sort of just reframed the way I look at it. I looked at the accident and I was like, actually, no, this was really positive. You know, it's changed my life in ways that I could never imagine. And most people think, how the hell can that end up positive? But it's um, it has been amazing. Yeah. But it wasn't until well into my sort of late 20s, into my early 30s, that I really, through the help of people around me going, how did you end up so positive and ambitious and motivated? They helped me see that the lessons that I'd learned and how I'd turned my life around had great value for other people. And so it's actually seven seven years ago this month, I actually left my job and started you know, my journey, which has now become the Academy of Resilience. And so now that has been um, evolving from just doing some keynote speaking to publishing the book and doing online programs and um, you know, running workshops, doing all that stuff, coaching. And yeah, it's been it's been interesting. It's certainly not been without its highs and lows, <laughs> as we know that it's just. Um, but I just knew I was never. I employee land was not for me. Yes, um, I've never ventured back there. Um, and just the thought of being anywhere nine to five in four walls with just can't do it. And when you started this journey, were there many like speakers or that type of thing around like eight years ago or was there, was it just more so, oh, this is something that you wanted to do and pursued it or how did you sort of, where did you draw your inspiration from that? Um, speaking was never part of what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think growing up in Western Sydney, I think, you know, Australia and the whole tall poppy thing is just crazy. So I, the last thing I wanted to do was speak and the last thing I wanted to do if I spoke was tell my own story. because I thought everyone would think I was a total wanker for talking about myself. (laughs) And thankfully I had a mentor that I did some work with and he said, look, get over yourself. It's not about you. It's about your audience. And if you don't share your story, you're being selfish. Yeah, wow. Because I went into a particular program that he was doing and it was I wanted to learn more about 
how to write and do that based on being able to raise awareness from some work I did um, volunteering in the Solomon Islands of all places. Mm-hmm. So I thought if I come back and I learned how to tell the story of the, the people I was helping, then I could raise awareness for them. And then that shifted. So yeah, there's always been a lot of people speaking, but I feel that probably in, the, in that seven to eight years that I've been speaking professionally, it has just grown incredibly. Um, but there's also a lot of opportunity for speakers too. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not like suddenly there's, you know, way, 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 way more speakers than there are opportunities. Um, but it's just been very clear on your messaging and who your audience is. Um, and then, you know, presenting, you know, th- that um, to the right audience is really important. Yeah, you do an amazing job of that. Loving this. So I love a self-made entrepreneur. I love the whole just in a job, then quitting it and discovering um, sort of your entrepreneurial style. Tell us about some of the highs that, you, that you've experienced along that journey. Yeah, I think probably one of the biggest highs was definitely publishing the book. Um, and what was really cool about publishing the book was that I crowdfunded it. So wow, definitely, um, you know, very entrepreneurial in that. So one of my big lessons that I've learned along the journey is I don't make anything unless I've sold it first. Love it. So there's no point going down this massive line of spending months creating something and then no one wants it. Mm-hmm. So it was about, you know, putting out a concept. All I needed was a, I had a cover. Mm-hmm. I had a bit of a blurb and I had an ebook version. So a little bit of a, I had an outline. And then that was putting it out to market because a lot of people had downloaded the ebook. They said, look, we love it. But until people actually put money to something, then all you've got is an idea. So that was amazing. Probably one of the most fun parts of that was doing the PR around it. Mm-hmm. So I ended up with like a, um, a you know, an in-print opinion piece in the Sydney Morning Herald, um, you know, did some great radio and stuff like that. But I think reaching out to the people that endorsed the book was was great and Having Brian Tracy. Yeah, how did that happen? I actually just I I just tried to get some contact details. I couldn't actually find direct contact details, so I found who um, in his team booked him as a speaker. I just sent a few emails there and just had a very specific ask with a bit of a summary of the book and just asking if he would be at all interested mm. in endorsing it. And yeah, I was blown away when I got an, an email back from his yeah. EA with a personal message from Brian saying that he'd actually had um, a spinal injury a few years ago, um, spent six months in a wheelchair. There was like there was something that really resonated with wow. him. And he came back with the endorsement that's on the front. But um, it actually became a little bit of a game of going, oh, who can I reach out to that would definitely say no? Um, and you know, But I did. I ended up with some amazing endorsements and it was just really um, incredible. It's just that gives you that confidence that if people like, you know, Brian and Lane Beachley and, you know, Jack DeLosa and people like that, you know, are willing to put their you know, their name to, you know, to your material and to what you do is 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 really incredible. So that was definitely a high. I think some of the big speaking engagements have been amazing. Um, probably uh, the other one that was really cool is I did some um, some media with SBS. So I ended up on a, on a big TV campaign, yep. um, which led to a brand partnership with Holden, um, which ended up being, you know, TV, all the different media campaigns. Um, so that was pretty pretty amazing. And then just getting people on Facebook tagging me with pictures of their TV, you know, when when um, my, when my ad was on TV and stuff like that. So that were definitely really, really big highs. Um, 
got to keep the ego in check when stuff <laughs> happens, though. Yeah, tell me about uh, your acting career or what, what happened with that? <laughs> oh, my goodness. So that was definitely a case of say yes and figure it out later. Um <laughs> What it was is it was late 2016, just after Christmas, um, I was starting to put together what was my theme for 2017. And I'm not really I'm not really great with super, super specific goals. So I thought, okay, let's go with the theme. And so I decided the theme that year was going to be creation. Awesome. And so I'd written up this bit of a manifesto about creation. And then within 24 hours, I got um, a message on LinkedIn from a, um, from a film director who I was not connected with in any way, shape or form, who sent me this message that said, oh, I'm you know, I'm directing this low-budget indie feature film in Sydney and we're looking for a lead actress who uses a wheelchair. Would this be something that might be of interest to you? <laughs> so first of all, I was like, did a stalk to go, is this dodgy or is it like, is it creepy? And then when I realised it was legit, I just sort of thought, you know, what if? And yeah. so I just messaged her back and I said, look, yeah, I'm happy to have a conversation. And which led led to um, me saying, "Look, I could be, I might be crap on video." She goes, "Oh no, no I think you'd be, do, you'll do well." So then met with the, you know, the other producers and the writer, and they offered me the role, and it was a lead role in a romantic comedy, yes. which was really funny because one of the other things I'd written in that manifesto was, um, you know, start dating again or something like that, and here I was being creation film about dating. Like, and that was like within twenty four hours. So like, manifesting can just happen on wow. steroids when you just be you know, put things on paper yes. and really connect and resonate with them. So what's your number one acting tip for people that can't, well, that people that haven't had experience in acting? Get good help. <laughs> <laughs> so I got coached on the way. So um, I had like some crash courses, yep. but it was a massive lesson in self-awareness. Just the like for you and I having a conversation now, when you don't know what the other person's going to say, you can have a very natural reaction. But if you know exactly what the other person's going to say. I got it. Um, so we did a lot of work on that. But I think just, um, yeah, I, I had to draw on a lot of personal experience. Mm. Um, and probably the biggest tip that I got is is to try and bring whatever the emotion is into the scene is to think about it because your eyes generally convey mm-hmm. what you, what's going on in your mind. So, yeah. you know, if you're thinking about the like for dating, it was like, you know, thinking about, oh, yeah. I could really, I could really go there, kind of thing, or something like that. So it was a bit of, yeah, it's and been fun. Did it help you with your professional or business? At like, does it help you communicate better on stage now, or anything like that? It was definitely a lesson in in awareness and about, yeah, just just some maybe some of the subtleties. Um, and I've sort of felt that most of the way I communicate on stage is very conversational anyway. So I'm very much. You know how we're having a conversation now is very much how I am on stage, yeah. um, but it just gives it gives it gives you an element of how you can probably be a little bit more scripted or a bit more intentional um, about how you can, you know, maybe use your body or you know use your tone, use all those things to better convey a message. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was definitely a really good. It was a really good experience, but yeah. Um, yeah I, don't know. I come away from it going, that was amazing. You know, do I do anything with it? And I thought the big lesson I had is it's like, it's a lot of hard work. Like it's so much work to do this. And I'm like, keynoting is just way easier. (laughs) Um, And then the other one is I was like, why would I spend all this time to play another character when I've got a really good gig just being myself? Yeah. Awesome point. And you mentioned the theme for that year. What is your theme for 2019? Connection. 
So connection's a big one and it's not it's it's it's, it's so multifaceted mm-hmm. because it's obviously connecting with other people, it's a deeper connection with myself, it's a deeper connection with source, um, it's a deeper helping connect other people. Um so yeah, it's been really powerful to to have that and so far it's 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 you know it's it's living up to it so it's yeah. good and you spoke about sh- how important it is to share your story and the reservations about going like sharing it in front of people have you had what impact have you had or have you had people come up to you after and say thank you like h- how is how have you helped people by sharing your story what i've found is by having that vulnerability and sharing my story creates a space for other people to either look into their own like in, into their own lives and and maybe reflect on how some of that stuff might be relevant to them. But what I find is I always, I, I never, I never like book a flight straight after I speak. I always make sure that I'm there for at least an hour or two afterwards because I can have like a, an hour long queue wow. of people afterwards that come up and, and then they start to, it's almost like it's creating that space and th- that they've always felt like that they have permission in a way to then share stuff themselves so, and that's probably the biggest lesson from that mentor was just how important it is for us to share our stories because it can be so valuable to other people. Um, so, yeah, it's just the stuff that you hear from people is amazing. But I think what I love the most is I might get emails or messages five years wow. after I've gone and done like a 45-minute talk somewhere and someone says, because you have said this, this is what I did. Or it might be they've come back and said, look, I did all of these things that you said. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, really? You did all of that from this <laughs> workshop I did with your, you know, with your workplace? And they go, oh, can I, could I work, you know, one-on-one with you? Wow. And, yeah, so it's just, it is mind-blowing. And, and what it's led for me now is that I feel this deep moral responsibility to share my story, to share what I'm learning, um, but also being very careful about how you share as well. It's not like I go and share blow by blow every minute of my life. Um, yeah. You know, it's sharing things probably a little bit after they happen um, and what I've learned. And um, I, I heard a you know a saying that sort of said it's it's um, in, pr- more important to share our scars than our wounds. Yes, love that. And that's probably the filter by which I actually run a lot of stuff through that I share now. Is mm. it like, is this still too raw? Yeah. Um, and But I think it's more important for people to be able to go that I've been where they are and I've gotten to where they want to go. Mm-hmm. And then that way they can go, okay, well, you know how to get there. Yeah. Okay. Rather than, because also too, there's some people that might be, okay, I teach resilience. Um, if I was spilling my guts on Facebook every day about how crap my life is and how... <laughs> you know, depressed and emotional and, and how hopeless everything feels. And then the next day I'm going, buy my book on resilience. Yeah. Totally incongruent. And um, and like, that's, yeah, it's not my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just to say. But, um, but yeah, it's just um, being very conscious about that. But, yeah, creating the space for people is just so valuable. Mm. And so we talk about scars and wounds. What are some of those scars that you've had sort of in your entrepreneurial business journey? Oh, God, where do we start? <laughs> Uh, there's been so many lessons. I think probably one of the biggest lessons that I've had that I think keeps kicking my ass at times is complacency. Yeah. Because you'll get a good run, you might get a good a few good contracts, um, or you might have loads of really good stuff in the pipeline. And this really kicked me about two years ago. I had um, I had enough stuff in the pipeline that I had actually proposals in and were looking really really good. And it would have been enough for me to get me through probably the next year and a half financially. 
and none of them came off. Yeah, wow. And that was like at a September, October. And consider the type of work I do, generally once it hits November, then nothing happens till about February. Mm-hmm. So that was a massive hit for me. Um, and then still sometimes I find myself getting there. You get really excited that you've got all these conversations happening. I may have a few contracts. And then you sort of pat yourself on the back a little bit and you get a little bit slack. And then, as I said, the, the bottom falls out of it. And then, you know, again, the sales cycle can be quite long. Mm-hmm. And then you've just got to keep going. So that's probably one of the biggest things is um, how to juggle, particularly being a solopreneur, um, as I am at the moment, is juggling the marketing and the business development with the delivery. Yeah. So that's been really, really interesting. Um, I think also, too, a big one has been just the people around you that don't get what you do. That's been really, really difficult to, and that's why it's been good and how we met through, you know, an yeah. entrepreneur community. It's really important that we do surround ourselves with those people that um, that do share authentically and stuff like that as well, because it can be very lonely. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's that's probably been a, a huge challenge is um, people just not getting it. Yeah. Or they still think, you know, um, just why don't you just get a job? <laughs> no. Well, how about no? <laughs> what is a job? pinstripe jail or this isn't an office it's hell with fluorescent lighting and I think when you've got a greater mission in life it's just that not settling even so when you're when you've got what 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 thought process or how do you pull yourself out when all your contracts fell through what did you do to get yourself focused again I certainly kicked my ass for a little bit I did probably get down on myself for a bit and then again but straight away it's like what's the lesson in this Mm -hmm. and so I've got a process that when something you know, doesn't go doesn't go to plan, or I'm in a moment in that space where I'm sort of feeling a bit stuck. Then I stop, and the first thing I do is I say thank you. Yeah, it's like thank you for the opportunity to be who I am, where I am, with what I have at this moment in time. Because you can't feel bad about something you're grateful for. So it just gets you centered, gets you focused again. And then I just say, what's the lesson in this? You know, what did I le- What did I need to learn from this that I haven't learned, or I needed to be reminded of? And then once you then then sort of go, okay. Sometimes that doesn't happen straight away you don't get the answers yeah um but yeah then i just said coming back to being really connected with that big picture what's the big vision like why are you doing what you're doing and and for me personally as i said earlier it's about having that deep moral responsibility that i can be an example to others that we are all bigger than our circumstances Mm -hmm. so no matter what goes wrong in any of our lives or any of our businesses we're bigger than that and we can we can we can move forward from that but we have to take that responsibility and that ownership of that situation and then go, well, what do we want? I think sometimes we get so hung up on the how yeah. when really when you've got the, the the what and the why and that when that's so clear, you just keep coming back to that and then I, I find the path generally appears. It's just knowing what's the next step. Mm-hmm. And, and saying yes to those things that might put you out of that comfort zone. Yeah, yeah. And let's, look, there's a caveat on that say yes because obviously there's things you say yes to that are there needs to be an alignment with the big yeah, picture. Absolutely. It can't be like saying yes out of a sense of obligation because I've done that before, being mm-hmm. secretary of every bloody board or whatever. <laughs> um, and it's like, and then you just want to get out of it. Um, but yeah, if it's something that it's, you've got a little bit of curiosity about, a bit of confidence about, that you think, oh, I could do that, mm-hmm. and it's an alignment, then you absolutely say yes. And coming back to it, you know, all you need to know is what's the destination, what's the first step, much like a GPS. Yeah. Where's the address? What's the first step? Take the first step. Next one appears. And you're still into your sport as well. And I want you to share, it was a great, it was the Facebook video that you put about your you were competing and your mindset. Can you please share that story um, with, with us? 
Oh, my goodness. Um, it's What's really funny is it can be like what could be our biggest disasters end up being our best opportunities. So, yeah, it was it was about five years ago now and I was competing at the National Athletics Championships in Melbourne and I had like a, the dodgiest chair ever and so I'd christened it the shopping trolley and said that I was going to do the slowest 100 metres in history, so the 100 metres was my distance. And, yeah, I had this complete disaster where I ended up um, with my chair, the steering buggering up on it. I ended up from lane four with my front wheel stuck over the inside rail. And there's like a whole lot of people there, isn't there? There's- the grandstand was packed because it was um, it was a Commonwealth Games selection meet as well and Sally Pearson had run the 100 metres flat just yes. before mine. So, yeah, so I got stuck on this rail and, yeah, it was one of those things that I was just so determined that I was not going to have, did not finish next to my name. But I, I sort of think, yeah, I was lucky resilience is one thing. And yeah, in that moment, I, I applied those three, those, those couple of things I just said. The first thing I did was when I was stuck there, you know, just to refocus was to say thank you. You know, thanks for the opportunity to be where I am at this moment in time. Um, and then once I got the, you know, I eventually got unstuck and, and um, you know, as I started to push, the crowd started cheering. They were get the hell off, we want to see the next race. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I finished the race and, and it ended up being that, um, you know, it was a world, being a, an Australian championship, it was a internationally ranked event. And eventually I jumped onto the Paralympic website and looked up my time and I'd actually... <laughs> I'd actually taken two minutes and 27 seconds to do the 100 metres, which I said I thought it was hilarious because the rest of the world thinks I'm crap and I'm not a threat anymore. Um, so in all that process, I decided it was funny, not embarrassing. So the cool thing is, is that just by the way that we describe an event changes the, the experience we have of it. So yeah, I, said, I decided it was funny, not embarrassing. I said, thank you. I asked what the lesson was in it. And the lesson I found was, is it because I was joking in all the lead up about, you know, having a shopping trolley, doing the slowest 100 metres in history. I'd said about, I'd said to my competitor, can you make me a cup of tea while you're waiting for me at the other end? Mm -hmm. So all of my sarcasm actually manifested all of those things happening. So it's being very conscious of what you do want, not what you don't want, Mm -hmm. and recognising that the universe only hears the actual stuff. So yeah, be Sarcasm is something that that's probably one of the things that comes up so often at the end of my keynotes when I'm having conversations. People go, oh, my God, I had no idea, you know, how what impact my sarcasm could have, not mm-hmm. just on their experience, but the people around them as well. Because sarcasm is very inbuilt into Australian culture. Yeah, it is. It's just mm. um, it's it's easy and it's also a way to deflect. And yeah. um, so that's been a real state change and being able to actually um, yeah get people to have a good look at how they use it and why they use it and where it could lead has been super powerful. And how you've talked about manifesting quite a bit. How do you do it? Is it like, do you have a process or what's, how do you? Yeah, well, first of all, you've got to be clear on what you want. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's the hardest part. And I still find that really difficult. Like I've had conversations with mentors and sometimes they go, what do you want? Even sometimes I still go, what do I want to know? Like, what do I want? What do I want today? What do I want next week? What do I want yeah. 10 years down the track? So it's constantly coming back to what you want. Um, and then put, putting it to paper mm-hmm. is super important. And then what I do, my process now is, and I, it sounds a little bit woo-woo, but I do mine on the new moon. Okay. So the new moon, the new moons, new moons for manifesting, um, full moons for letting go. And okay. So, so the, and so what I do is I have um, my top ten for this month, and mm-hmm. I have my top ten long term. Yes. And then what I do is I actually write them down every morning. 
So that's wow. another part of the ritual. Um, so in my planner, the bottom of that, I have this month I have and I write it as if I've already got it. Yes, okay. And this month and beyond I have. Yep. And then through meditation, it's like the the morning meditation I do with, you know, Joe Dispenza now is it's um, being defined by a vision of your future rather than a memory of the past. Mm-hmm. So it's just feeling that, just being connected to it. And, you know, and from a scientific perspective, it's engaging your reticular activating system, which is, you know, our brain is a filter. And if we're very clear on what we need, our brain helps us filter all of the information around us all the day. And it actually helps us see the stuff that's going to help us get what we want. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of people talk about the law of attraction and it's, but that's not just about, oh, I wrote it on paper and all of a sudden it's just going to happen. I wrote myself a million dollar check. Yeah. But what, what I really like is, you know, the, the second part of the word attraction is action. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to actually take action. Um, and so it is. And it's, and it's looking at, you know, your, your activities every, every month, every, every you know, week, month, day, and going, well, what's one thing I can do that's actually going to get me closer to that big picture? So, yeah, there's a lot of energetic stuff out there, but it's also sharing with people what we want as well because so often, um, you know, you share what you want and then other people will see an opportunity for you and help connect you with it as well. Like it shortcuts it for sure. Yeah, awesome. So in those downtimes, even struggling at, at, during your teenage years and so the downtimes in the entrepreneurial journey, what has got you through those times? Writing. Yeah, I found writing has... I probably saved myself tens of thousands of dollars in therapy um, from writing. And because I guess everyone's different about how they need to engage or just get things out of your head. Mm-hmm. And I've had some times where I might have jumped on my journal and I might have written 3,000 words. Wow. Just free flow, get whatever's in my head, in my heart, get it out. And so often once you get it out and then you read it back, it feels so different. Yeah. Because we have this... This we just we make things bigger than what they are. So writing has been massive. Um, it's been surrounding myself with positive people that are doing what I want to achieve. Mm-hmm. It's been making sure that everything I consume, whether it's listening to, watching, reading, people's energy, food, all of that stuff is actually keeping my you know mind, body, and spirit um, in a positive state. Yeah. Um, because it's very easy when you get down those, and I, you know, I fall off. You, you, you know what? I'm not perfect. Yeah, there's days where you do, but then it's like not beating yourself up so much about it. It's just going, okay, look, it happened. Yeah, can't control what's just happened, but what I can do is I can control what I do from this point forward. Um, so yeah, having good people around you, um, constantly having a mindset of growth, also having an element of curiosity mm-hmm. about all of these situations is again, what can I learn from it? Is, is massive. Yeah. And do you look back at, so what you wrote five years ago, do you go back and read those things or just put it to bed? What do you sort of do with those writings? What's really cool is that um, the online program I use, Penzu, there's a, there's a feature called Looking Glass. Mm-hmm. So if you enable that, I get an email every night that says, on this day last year, two years ago, three years ago, five years ago, this is what you wrote. Yeah. Um, and there's two things that I found have really been powerful with that. It's You find sometimes that you had all the answers all those years ago and you think, why the heck haven't I done anything with it? Um, And other times you go, wow, look how far I've come because we get so so hung up on what we haven't achieved yet Mm -hmm. that we stop to check in with what we already have. Yeah. And when we actually stop and check in and do what we have, even at the end of a day. Yeah. So if say, for instance, at the end of the day, we think, 
oh God, I wanted to do all these things and we didn't do them. And then sometimes through my journal process, if I start with that, I'm like, okay, write a list of what you did do. Mm-hmm. And then you look at it, you go, gee, that wasn't a bad day after all. Yeah. Um, and, and even just writing, you know, to, I think a good cue to start a journal is today I had the opportunity to. Okay. Even on those days when you're in the deepest, mm-hmm. you know, in the deepest funk, it can be still, today I had the opportunity to. And there's always something in every day that you can take from it. But um, it's, it's just not sitting in that place too long. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not, um, com- you know, internalising everything completely either. Yeah, cool. And we were chatting before, you switched off a lot of your social media now as well. I know, yes. That's I, I ended up, um, I have a love-hate relationship with social media mm-hmm. and my smartphone, as most people do. Yeah. Um, because, again, it just becomes so easy just to, oh, I've got 30 seconds sometimes to kill. I'll just pick up my phone and see what's happening. Yes. So I've over the years I've gone back and forth with it, but just recently I read um, Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport mm-hmm. and that was incredible. And it also went into the science and how, you know, like not feeling bad about the fact that we get so sucked into it because there's attention engineers that invest millions and millions of dollars <laughs> in having the response that they're getting from us. So what I did was I actually then completely looked at the way I use social media. So I've deleted Facebook and Twitter off my phone. I can mm-hmm. only access it on my laptop, which I don't use very much. Yeah. I did just put Facebook back on my phone because I'm away. I'm I'm interstate for a week and I don't I don't travel with my laptop. Yes. Um so I popped that back on. But even the way that I look at it, when I go into Facebook or into any of these things, I read my notifications and I post and I engage with posts. I avoid the the news feed. Mm-hmm. And if I find myself scrolling the news feed, I actually, again, have this, you know, this um, level of self-awareness to go, hey, what are you looking for? Yeah. And or, you know, if it's just boredom or whatever, it's like, hey, no, stop it. Um, but probably the biggest thing that's had the impact, best impact on my product, pro- productivity, mental health is not watching the news. Yes. Okay. Not reading the newspapers. Yeah. Just that, just the energy around it is, you know, it's, it's just, it's so negative and, you know, designed to make us be afraid and sceptical and all that sort of stuff. So I think just getting rid of it. But just the, the easiest thing to do is just like anything you do, If when you do it afterwards, go, did it make me feel light and energised or did it make me feel, you know, negative and drained? Mm-hmm. It's like do more that makes you feel light, do less of what makes you yeah. feel heavy. And it's just a constant balancing act. Are you watching TV or Netflix or anything like that? I don't have Netflix. Yeah, I've got Amazon Prime, um, but I use it just to get my quick and free delivery. <laughs> um, I've gone back to Audible, so I've been listening to audio books. Um, yeah. I listen to podcasts, um, TV. No, I've I've watched a couple of things. It's only because I've been staying in my parents' house, and it's like I'll be passing through the living room and watching Lego Masters. <laughs> but I generally, I'm, I'm not watching your typical stuff. I'm not binge watching anything. And I know that I would get sucked into it. So I just don't start. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is there anything in your journey, you've had an incredible journey doing so many different things. Is there anything that you would have changed? Oh, it's probably not anything super specific. Um, perhaps it would be probably believing in myself a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. You know, it took a really long time, even after speaking for years, till I got to the point where I actually believed that I belonged on the stage. Yeah. And even with everyone around you going like, this is so powerful, this is so helpful, you know, you still question it. Yeah. Um, but then when you get to the point where, um, where you, again, you just have to remind myself of all of the good stuff that's come back. And there is that element of that imposter yeah. thing is always there. and. 
So what I've what I have done is if I do find myself falling in that trap, then I go back and I'll read my LinkedIn le- recommendations, or mm-hmm. you know I'll, I'll read some feedback forms, or I keep emails. I, I've actually got in my Evernote if I get anyone that leaves a really positive comment on something I've done, then I put it in. I save it in my Evernote file. That's awesome. So I can go back and then then I can look at all those things. I can read. There might be a hundred different comments from a hundred different people that are saying you're doing something really important and they've got value from it. Mm-hmm. And then if I still feel like, you know, I'm an imposter and I'm not worthy, I'm like, the way I've reframed it, I'm like, well, if I feel like that, did, like, am I saying that all those people are liars? Mm. And so that I found that was a really powerful shift to better go, well, clearly a hundred people aren't liars. There's obviously something in it. Um, so that was probably a big one was just being able to really own it. Um, coaching. It's been super, super powerful. I had some coaching when I first started my business. Then I went on my own for a bit mm-hmm. and had a bit of a dip. Yeah, uh, I've been working with another coach now since October last year and then had that, you know, on the up big time again. So, so important to have that coaching. And the element of the coaching I think that's super powerful is that is that accountability. Yeah. You know, and my coach Craig sort of says, and it's accountability to somebody you deeply do not want to disappoint. Yeah, okay. Because you know, we can have accountability to other people and, you know, it's all good in theory, but you end up making excuses after a while. Yeah. But, yeah, for someone you don't want to let down, then that's been super transformational. So I, I know from this point forward I will always have a coach of some description in my life. So for people looking for a coach, like how do you, how, do you, how should people try and find a coach that's good for them? I think the, the, the big thing is, is you need someone that's done what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Like I find that. So I guess it's a bit of a blurred line between a coach and a mentor and you can have both. Um, but obviously, I feel like you know, a coach is a paid relationship, and I think you've got to have skin in the game. Yeah. Um, because you can have mentors, and you can have people that provide some kind of, as I said, accountability. But if you are not financially invested in it, then you know you you, you do drop the ball on it. So it's it's finding somebody that has you know done what you do that you feel you've got a value alignment with. Yeah. Because you might find, like, say, from a speaker perspective, um, I might find a speaker that's done everything I want to do, but I just don't like what they're about. Yeah. So I couldn't work with that person. Mm-hmm. So you need to have that values alignment um, and then just have that element of feeling that they are somebody that you really do not want to let down. Yeah, that's awesome. And then now with your book, I'm trying to write a book at the moment and it's very hard. <laughs> Do you have any tips for me? Because I go through stages where I'm writing it and then I get really busy and then I go back to it. What's What tips do you have for writing books? Oh, look, I made it way harder than it needed to be. (laughs) If I actually look at all of the actual writing time that went into that book, I could have done it in a weekend. Yeah, okay. I took three years. There is a lot of I'll let you, there is a lot of pages, so she's being modest there. Yeah, with it. it's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of work for the reader to do as I well. Know. I was like, oh, we got to answer questions. Yeah. Language in action. Yeah, because I wanted it to be something. Because you know how often you read something and you go, yeah, that was great, and you just put it on the shelf and nothing ever happens with it. I just yeah. wanted it that it was more of a coaching resource that people. Mm-hmm could read it and go, okay, I can apply this now. Although a lot of people go, oh, I'm going to come back and do the activities. But Yeah, sometimes I do that too. It's fine. But, you know, sometimes it can be even the questions there are a bit of a prompt. Mm -hmm. So I think the main thing with the book is you've got to know what the book's about. Yes. Who it's for. Mm -hmm. um, And then just make writing a habit. I think that was really super powerful. yeah, lots of there's so many different ways to do it. Yes. Um, some people will say they get up and they write for half an hour every morning. 
they do it that way. Um, but the way I ended up doing it is I had the framework mm-hmm. and that book actually started out as a keynote. Oh, okay, yes. So I think it's, yeah, it was, it was super powerful to know that the content resonated with people first because it seemed like that thing about, you know, selling something and making it making it later. It's also being very conscious about what you want the book to do for you. And for mm-hmm. me, I was under, like, I... I was under no illusions that it was to make money um, from book sales. Yes. And for me, that was a positioning tool and it has done exactly that. It's open doors um, and quite often, you know, I can package up a keynote with, you know, 200, 300 copies of the book, um, yeah. for, you know, for all the participants to take away. So you can make some money there, um, but it's more about, you know, it's it's a positioning mm-hmm. and the, the fact that you're an author and not going down this line of I think there's so many, it's like, oh, I'm an Amazon best-selling author. And it's like, yeah, you're coordinated um, you know, a whole stack of people to download a free copy of your book at, you know, this window of time and you got a number one in yeah. an obscure, you know, in an obscure category for two hours. Oh, is that what they do? Is that their little secret? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, unless you like, you you know, a New York Times or, you know, that sort of stuff, best-selling author. But even that, like it all can be, it's it all can be totally gamed. It all can be contrived. Mm-hmm. So it's just about, as I said, knowing who the book's for, how it's going to help them, what's the problem you solve, and what part you want that to play in your business. Yeah. Um, and so, and that, that's also just going. Well, do you even write a book right now? Because mm-hmm. sometimes people feel that there's pressure to have a book. Yeah. I know a lot of really, really successful people who are, you know, speakers and trainers, influencers, and thought leaders that don't have a book. Yes. Very. So it's not. It's not essential. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to di- deep dive into a few personal questions. You've been this a bit. This is where of- you made me square. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I've really admired about you, I don't know how I found it out. I think it was just going out for dr- like going out for drinks or for dinner with you is um, that you don't actually drink alcohol. And um, I have gone through a bit of a stage a few months where I didn't drink alcohol and I've massively cut it down. And I actually drew on you for inspiration. Um, so tell us about that process. Yeah, I'm coming up to, I'm four and a half years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be five years in September that yeah. I didn't drink at all. So there was there was a lot of factors that came about that. Um, some of it was having people that were close to me that had, um, you know, a, a not great relationship with alcohol. So mm-hmm. I had some really good examples of not what, um, you know, what not to do. Yes. Um, and so, and also looking at some people that, you know, I cared about a lot and I go, I don't want to be like that. Um, I also look back on it and I found that, you know, particularly as a teen, it was something that I relied on heavily. Mm-hmm. As an adult, I thought that it helped me to be less socially awkward. And then I've, and I thought that it helped me to, you know, to connect and communicate better. And now I realized it was a massive hindrance. Yeah. So there was that. Um, also seeing some, you know, some people that I really admire. Um, who are super successful in their fields of endeavours that have said that they flat out don't drink. They said it was pretty much it's an all or nothing thing. And I was like, okay, so I took a lot of heart in that. Um, So, yeah, I just drew a line in the sand and I'm like, no, that's it. I don't want to do this anymore. And it's been amazing. Um, It has given me just this amazing capacity to connect, to be fully present, to just have such clarity Mm. has been amazing and I found even if I didn't drink much even if I had like a glass of wine with dinner I felt that I felt really there was a sense of apathy that crept in for the rest of the evening and then I still felt foggy in the morning yeah so it just it was like putting this oh it's like putting a fog Mm -hmm. 
it was a fog in my life. Yeah. And so once I kicked that out, it's funny because a lot of people look at you like you are a freak because you don't drink. Um, but I found more and more I'm, 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 you know, seeing people that don't. One of the, you know, the, the mindset things that was really quite interesting is I used to, I go to a lot of corporate dinners, mm-hmm. um, and back in the day I'd go, oh, two hundred bucks, I'll drink that. <laughs> so whereas that might still be me on occasion, <laughs> but now it's like two hundred bucks. That means there's going to be great quality people in the room, and it's a great networking opportunity. And I generally leave events about ten o'clock now instead of staying till midnight because I know that. The quality conversations have been had and you're not going to have a great conversation with somebody that's incoherent at 11 o'clock at night. Um, so it's been really good. Um, yeah. And I, I know with absolute certainty I won't go back. Um, I still like to smell wines at times. Yes. At times. Um, but I just don't have the desire to ever go back there. It's it's great. It's really good. Hats off to you. Love that. Now, another area which I guess we probably both haven't been that vocal um, on Facebook and social media. I think it's one of those scars, wounds um, types of scenario. I, I know for myself, so um, it was about two and a half years ago I separated from my husband and went through the full divorce um, last year. And I think about the same time you were p- potentially going through a similar thing. Yeah, a little bit longer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for me, it was about four years okay. about four years ago separated and then finally yeah finally did the divorce about 18 months ago yeah yeah how's that process or journey been for you to go through it was something that was really interesting it was something I did very very quietly mm-hmm. um, I never wanted to be that person that you know did this big announcement that said oh by the way we've gone our separate ways um it was when I moved back to Sydney, there was a few questions that were asked and they're like, oh, is he going with you? And I'm like, no, we've, we've chosen to go our separate ways. Yeah. Um, I found there was a there was an awful lot of judgment. Mm-hmm. I think that was probably the hardest part was, was just the judgment piece. And that probably also meant that I stayed longer than I probably wanted to because I was really afraid yeah. of other people's perceptions of what they saw. Mm-hmm. of me and I think also too there's this element that like that it's almost a, like it's a cop out or you took the easy way out and stuff like that but if anyone that knows me like like I'm I'm, up, I'm always up for you know to for battling challenges and yeah. stuff like that but you know when there's a point where you know it's not in either party's best interest to go there so as I said I've been very very yeah very quiet about it because mm-hmm. I just sort of thought that was probably something that you know see with close friends and stuff like that is yeah. okay but yeah, I just sort of felt that was an element of my life that probably was not one that, yeah. It's interesting because there's elements of it that sometimes you think, wow, because people will go, um, particularly with what I do, and people would hear me speak and they go, like, oh, my God, you're so amazing. You've had all these challenges. And, like, I would have, I was, you know, going through that, you know, living with somebody that you were no longer in a relationship with and things like that, going through a separation, going through moving, going through doing all that stuff. Um, and sometimes I would felt like, oh God, if only you knew the whole story. Yeah. Um, but I just didn't. I did. I guess I didn't know how was the way that was probably beneficial for me, beneficial for others, but also respectful. And I think that's the, the big piece for me because there's other people that aren't me. Yes. That are involved in yeah. that, and I felt out of respect for them. Um, that's why I never, yes. you know, really really spoke openly about it. Yeah, I guess similar situation to me. The only thing that I did, um, and I'm a very open person, the only thing I did was change my name on social media. So to the outside world, no one really knew what was going on. And it's also, yeah, being respectful that there are other parties involved. Is there a lesson that you could learn from 
from that whole uh, whole time of your life or is there um, a lesson to learn from now or what do you sort of reflect on with it? I think probably the, the big thing for me is I knew that I wanted to and needed to leave a lot earlier than I did mm-hmm. and there was a lot of external stuff that I had perhaps used as excuses. Um, so I think that I probably would have left a lot earlier Mm-hmm. is a big thing. Um, certainly don't recommend sharing a house with somebody you're separated <laughs> with. I did that for a long period of time yeah. and that was, God, that was hell. Yeah. Um, I didn't change my name when I got married, so I didn't have to. That was something I was really, it's really quite fascinating. So many people are like, oh, you're changing your name. And I'm like, no, like I'm Stacey Copas is who I am. Yes. And the funny thing was is I, I, I thought about hyphenating my name and then I'm like, oh, I've still got nine years left on my passport. I couldn't be bothered with the paperwork. <laughs> There you go. I think that's, yeah, the paperwork is done hard. Yeah, and then have to go and do it again. I'm running like two names at the moment because I've got a lot of paperwork, a lot of degrees, and people get confused. They see old degrees, new degrees, change the name. I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah, it is. It's very complicated. And also I think um, probably the biggest thing that people don't talk about is just it, financially it's yeah, it's a massive hit. Mm. It's a massive hit, especially when you've invested, you know, a life and you've bought houses together and you've done all that sort of stuff, and then to sort of pull all that apart. And for me, also too, I, I probably hung on a little bit too long because I, I'm like, oh, it's almost like you want to kind of recoup, yeah, what you put in. And then it was, you know, a coach of mine at the time. He said, look, you have to actually go. You can't get hung up on what you've invested into something to a particular point. You need to think about what you want your life to look like in 12 months, three years, five years time. And is that person or that situation part of it? If they're not, move on. Forget mm. about what you've invested in it. And, you know, another another you know mentor that I saw along the way, he said it's he said it's like if you, um, you know, got jumped on a plane and you'd bought a ticket and you realised it was going in the opposite direction to where you wanted to go, mm-hmm. would you actually go on that flight just because you'd invested in it? Depends where it was. <laughs> but it's like if you're, something's going in the complete just because, yeah. you, because you're invested in it. So I think that was a, that was a huge lesson. So a lot of a lot of financial lessons came out of it as well. Uh, yeah, the finance side, particularly being a woman and running your own business, and the uncertainty that can sometimes happen from that side of things. Yeah, that was a. I know for myself that was a massive milestone to just get over, and to also back myself and go, I can do this. And I tell you what, when that day that financial settlement happened, I have never been more determined in my life. But obviously I was setting myself up and making sure I was financially independent. I think that's a key area for women in particular is to make sure they're financially independent. Oh, massively. And that's been a huge lesson for me as well. Um, and I, I like to always come back to, I love Kim Kiyosaki's quote that, you know, a man's not a financial plan, mm-hmm. a man or a woman, or depending on, you know, what your circumstances yeah. are. But, you know, to put your financial destiny control in the hands of somebody else is so foolish. Yeah. And now I'm yeah. going to ask you this question as well. We spoke about, it was, what was it, 2017? You were talking about dating or? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> I know we chat about it every now and again. We're like, oh, so how's the, how's the guys going in your your life and I'm trying to be really like I'm not trying to speak negative about anything <laughs> these days so I'm going to ask how's Stacy and dating going these days um distant memory <laughs> <laughs> yeah I did a little I did a little bit and I was just like no it's just not for me yeah at this point in time and I realized that I probably still had work to do with mm-hmm. myself yeah I needed to have a really good relationship with myself before yes. 
I have a relationship with somebody else. And it comes back to a lot of the time if we're looking at dating and you have all this vision about, oh, what's the type of person that I would like to attract into my life? I need to be that person Yes. in order to do that. Otherwise, I'm just going to attract the same stuff that I've had before. Mm-hmm. And so, and I also found, you know, internet dating, online dating in Sydney. Oh my God. Um, you know, it yeah. was just, it just wasn't, yeah, it wasn't good. And I just think, and I'm res- uh, resilience is my thing. Yeah. It's hard. Oh yeah. You know, getting, you know, ghosted and, mm-hmm. you know, just the whole, you know, who's playing games, who's not playing games. So I've got to the point, like I, it's been, you know, it was probably, you know, October last year. It was probably the last time I went on a date. Yeah. And I've just got to the point now where I'm like, you know what? If if it doesn't happen organically, then it's not going to happen. <laughs> I'm okay with that at the moment. Like, and one of my things is date myself. Yes. So I love that. Date myself. It's actually one of my things that is, is in my top 10 each month is date myself. So, you know, it's going out and doing things that I want to do um, without feeling that I have to have, you know, someone to do it with. So, yeah. you know, I did that whole thing of going to the movies by myself and what movie did you see? I went and saw Vice. That was like, oh, okay, which yes. was great. Yeah. And um, and I noticed that half the cinema were on their own. Yeah. Um, so that was cool. So, and yeah, I'm comfortable now to go and have a meal by myself mm-hmm. or just, I'm happy to do that. And, yeah. you know, really investing in, in myself and the whole self-love thing, you know, felt a bit wanky at first. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I'm like, well, that's the most, you know, wherever I am, you know, that's, that's where I, I, you know, I need to have that relationship with myself being top priority yeah I think I know I can definitely relate to everything that you're saying there and just focusing on my life and the life I want to have one of the key areas that I've done is um, I always like I've loved to travel but it's always been when the the partners organized it Mm -hmm. and this year it's been like no I'm going to say yes to traveling and whatever opportunities sort of come about I'm like yes I'll go with that person to travel because yeah it's just about creating that life that you want yeah exactly and what words of what entrepreneurial words of wisdom do you have to anyone else starting out in their um, business journey, career journey, finding the discovering their passions? What what wisdom do you have for them? Oh, look, I I find a thing. It's and I think we all get this advice early on, and most of us ignore it because we think we're different, or that we have an element of scarcity mindset when mm-hmm. we're going out there. Um, is is coming back to being very clear on who you serve. Yes. It's like who 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 is your audience? Who is your tribe? Who is who is that group of the market that you solve a problem for? Mm-hmm. Um and I know that yeah, I, it took me years to get to that point where I really narrowed it down. Even now because see resilience is something that can be applied anywhere. Yes. And I often get pulled in different directions. So over time I've become very clear on who I work with, why I work with them. And then being very able to say no Mm -hmm. to stuff that doesn't serve that. But, yeah, Yeah. I definitely had that scarcity mentality in the beginning because I was like, oh, but I need the money. Yes. So I'll just do everything. And Mm -hmm. and the irony, like when you do that, then, you know, try and be everything to everyone. You're nothing to no one. Yeah. So it's the sooner you can narrow down that market, that niche, um, and then because you can speak to them. And Mm -hmm. that's the whole thing is, is, you know, and most of the businesses, you know, especially when you start out and even – you know, until we get to a certain point, you know, 80% of your business needs to be the sales and marketing piece. Yeah. Um, and I still have to keep coming back and reminding myself of that. And if you know exactly who that audience is and you know what problem you solve for them, then it makes the sales and marketing piece so much easier. Love it. So the next time shit hits the fans, what do we do, Stacey? 
Well, the first thing is, is we turn the fan off so we don't get showered in it. Um, no, the first thing we need to do, again, is that stop in that moment and just say thank you. And like gratitude. Oh, my God, is, okay. And this is the whole thing. It doesn't feel like it feels weird, yeah. but it just completely changes the relationship you have with it to the to the issue. Mm-hmm. So, if, again, it's just, you know, thank you for the opportunity to be who I am, where I am, with what I have at this moment in time. And so it just com- yeah, changes the energy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's just, yeah, taking that moment and going, well, what can I learn from this? Yeah. Um, and it also, too, the thing with resilience is, is I see it as a really proactive skill. Mm-hmm. So it's doing consistent things so that when that shit does hit the fan, it's it's always like, okay, yeah. now what? Yeah. Um, and so it becomes um, something that has such a it's, – it's a blip rather than, you know, a tidal wave of drama – um, so seeing seeing it as being more proactive than reactive is a huge thing. But yeah, gratitude, what's the lesson in it? Um, and also just checking back in with your big picture. Like, what are you working towards? Why are you doing it? What's the next step you can take? Um, because it's momentum is a huge thing. Because if we actually slow down, it's like laws of inertia. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so hard to get a, you know, a, a stationary item moving again. Yeah. So even when something has gone wrong, constantly going, what's one action I can take? Any action. Because it doesn't matter what direction it's going in, it's easier to steer things once they're moving. You are a truly remarkable woman. Thank you so much for coming down, flying down from Sydney, guys. We're so lucky and blessed to be able to have you. I wish you all the luck. You don't even need luck. You're just going to smash it with those projects that you've got coming up. Look forward to sort of watching your career develop. You're going to start doing some overseas speaking gigs as well. Oh, look, it's been on the radar for a couple of years, but oh, I just got to get this whole body ready for travel. So, yes, okay. Um, yeah, I definitely want to do that. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's the, you know, I just wish Elon would work on a teleportation, you know, rather sp- pack a space travel. Like we just want to be able to get, you know, you know, intercontinental faster. Yeah, that's it. Just, Is it too much just to Australia. ask? We're just a little bit. No. We're <laughs> a few hours away from everywhere. That's it. So cool. yeah, definitely. Thank you so much. And Stacey Copas, where can we find you on social media? Where do you where where should we follow you? Um, everywhere, ev- anywhere, everywhere. Yeah. Um, just yeah, pop in Stacey Copas. Follow the tags from this. Um, feel free to reach out and um, yeah, socials, emails. I manage all my own stuff, so mm-hmm. you send me a message, then I, I will get it and I will reply. Awesome, love it. Thank you so much for coming in, and see you later to everyone watching. Thank Bye. you so much for watching and listening. We got the music. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We are getting awesome feedback from our viewers and listeners and we want to hear from you. What was your key takeaway, your lessons learned, something you can relate to or your aha moment and share it on our Facebook and Instagram. You can also visit our sistersthatslay.com.au website to see what we've been up to. This podcast has been brought to you by Miriam's business, Fab Tax Accountants. We make your life easier keep your books clean, and accounting and tax can even be fun so you can love your numbers.